So this morning, I will ask a question to see if any of you know this. How many of you are familiar with the USS United States? Really? Wow, okay. I didn't expect it in very many people to you are, Brad. Um, to probably be very familiar with the USS United States. As you can imagine, that is probably a... A ship, correct. Okay, good. It is a ship. Um, and, and if you're not familiar with it, it actually was meant to be one of the greatest uh, technology-type um, accomplishments of the, of the late 1940s. And in 1949, America got together, and they decided that they needed to build these super ships, okay? Um, as you know, World War II was coming, we had come to a close, but yet the Cold War was getting ready to begin and had begun, and America was on the brink of possibility of war all the time. And so they had this plan to build these five major ships, and these ships would be able to carry 14,000 soldiers at a time and 48 hours go across the Atlantic and bring men over there. Um, not only that, but it was it was the possible it could be used as an aircraft carrier at the same time. And so this ship was intended to be the the top ships of the day. Well, the, the funding didn't work out at all. I think it was like eighty million dollars to build back then. Um, it ended up selling for five million by the end of its heyday. Um, but it didn't end up working. And so they only ended up building one of the ships, one of the ships. And the ship never actually accomplished what it was intended to do. The ship was meant to be a warship. The ship was meant to be something that could go and be launched into the, into the battle and, and do great things and, and, and exploits that no other ship had ever done. And, and in fact, it, it, it did, but in a different way. Um, it actually still holds the record today for the fastest time across the Atlantic, back and forth. Um, it still holds that record. But what it ended up becoming was a cruise ship, essentially. It became a cruise ship, and it became a ship that very much, uh, I read somewhere it had 80,000, or no, I'm sorry, 8,000 quarts of ice cream on it during its cruise line. Um, they would make it where there was, the pianos were fireplace. They just, it was just like, a, it was a very uh, high-end place. Um, and when, when they opened it up, there was 25,000 people that wanted to tour it within the city of New York. And so this ship never became what it was supposed to be. But what it was supposed to be was it was supposed to be a warship. And I was thinking about that story and that illustration, and just the, the truth is, is that really the church of Jesus Christ is meant to be a, a, a battleship, a battle carrier. We are an army for Jesus, and we're not meant to be a cruise line, and we're not meant to be just this comfort me as I go, but we are meant to be soldiers of Jesus Christ. There will come a day, church, where we will be able to eat dinner, and we will be able to have this life that we want so badly sometimes right now. But that life is in the next kingdom, the kingdom of God, when he's fully established, and we are celebrating with Jesus, and he has defeated the foes completely, and we get to joy for eternity, celebrate with the king of kings. And it's unfathomable for us to understand. But the reality is today is that we are an army of God. We are called to be the army. We are not called to be a cruise line. We are called to be a battle carrier. And so my heart's desire today is really to encourage us to be that. I was not planning necessarily to minister this message this week and, and then pastorally preached on Wednesday night. And if you did not, we're not here for that message, I strongly encourage you to go listen to it. If you were here, listen to it again. Because it is a message that I think was absolutely incredible and needed to be heard by the church. And, and honestly, maybe heard more than once or twice because it may take some time to understand. He even said, you need revelation here. You need the spirit here. And he preached a message and the title of it was this. It was, if in this life only, thy kingdom is coming. And what Pastor Lee really ministered to us and encouraged us was that the kingdom of God is now. And it is coming, but we ought to live our lives in light the fact that king, the, well, how we live now will affect the kingdom of God and how we live in the next life. That the rewards we receive in the next life is determined by the way you live right now. 
And the way you live right now and the way we are called to live right now is to live a life that's seeking the kingdom of God and to do good works for the kingdom of God and honoring King Jesus and following him in every way. And so he was encouraging us to not live as a people in this hour that just wants to settle for getting into heaven by the skin of our teeth. Bible does make it clear that will happen to some, but we don't want to be those people. We don't want to be cruise line Christians that just say, I'll just, you know, not really be concerned with what God has tasked of me, what God has called me to do. But I want to be concerned as a soldier of Jesus Christ in this hour to lay hold of everything that I am called to be and do and serve Jesus fully with all my heart. And so we are called to to serve the kingdom, to serve the king, to advance the kingdom of the, God, the kingdom of God, to do the work that Jesus called us to do. And this is what Pastor Lee's heart to, towards us. And there was so much in that message, so I'm not going to recap it all. But I encourage you to go listen to it. And, but as I was listening to that message, it really stirred me. And it stirred me to think about, well, if we're called to do the work of the kingdom, what is that work? And I'm not going to tell you today that I have the one thing and there's nothing else that matters. But I will say this. I, what I believe the Lord's put in my heart today is this is doing the work of the kingdom for sure. And so if you want to live in light of eternity, if you want to live knowing that there will be rewards for you in heaven, that you will better give to King Jesus out of your love for him, then find yourself doing this work. And so today what I really would love to do and what I pray that would happen is that I could just exhort you in a simple message titled, Making King Jesus' final words your first work. Making King Jesus' final words your first work. Because I believe that we are to listen to what Jesus said before he left and say, that becomes my occupation. That becomes the first thing I live for. Now, I'm not saying that's easy, and I know that it's in, in the world we live in, everything tells us not to. Everything tells us to build our life around 401ks. Everything tells us to build our life about pleasures, success, sports, whatever it is, right? But I would suggest to us that if we want to be the people that God has called us to be in in the end time church, and the truth is to be what Jesus wants to do in the earth today, he has to have a people that are kingdom minded. And so to be a kingdom minded people is to be people that say we will make King Jesus' final words our first work today. So I ask you, will you? And so if you would just turn with me to a very popular passage, Matthew chapter 28. This is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. I love this passage. I read it all the time. Um, You've probably heard me preach out of it all the time. Um, But it is a passage that I will continue to preach out over and over again because I believe that we have to continue to bring it in front of us if we are to align our lives to what Jesus says we are called to be and do. So again, today's message is just titled... um, It's making Jesus' final words your first work in this life. Let it be in this life that we take his words first. And so I'll go ahead and read it to you. Matthew 28, verse 16. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And I just want to pause there real quick for us to just give you a note here. And you may have heard me say this before, but I'll say it to you again. In this moment, when you see the word mountain in the Gospel of Matthew, we read over details really quickly because we're just, you know, we just read stuff. But when you read this in the Gospel of Matthew, every story in the Gospel of Matthew that involves a mountain involves a great revelation of Jesus. Every one of them. And so right when you're reading this from the beginning, there should be something, the readers would have understood this, there should be this something that Paul's and think something significant is about to happen. And so the reason why I'm bringing this out is because for us, you've read this passage before. I'm, I'm pretty sure you've read this passage before. I would almost bet many of you have maybe even have it memorized. But that's, sometimes that becomes the thing where we're just like, oh, I know this. But this was been, meant to be a monumental moment in the life of the disciples and in, in the life of Jesus and what he was planning to do next with his, with his disciples. This was supposed to be a moment where things would turn and things would be like, wow, 
This is what we're called to do. And so in verse 17, he says, it says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so when we read this passage right here, again, it may not feel like this big moment, but that's what it was intended to be. And what this moment really is, is it is Jesus declaring with his final words that we as the church are going to march into the world as an army and, and assault the kingdom of the enemy, right? The gates of hell shall not provoke, but to move forward and advance the kingdom of God. This is the call of the church. The call of the church is not, again, to be a cruise line ship, but it's to be a battle carrier. It's to be a ship that is marching into the gates of hell and bringing destruction to the kingdom of darkness. And this passage is that. It is Jesus making it very clear. This is your call, church. This is your call, people of God. This is your call, saint of God. It is not just for the pastor or for some other person. It is for every individual in this room. And so I pray that as we go through this passage, as we look into the passage, your heart would begin to say, Jesus, let your final words become my first word, because I recognize this is the call for my life in every way today, and I want to live that out. So let's just pray, ask God to give us strength to understand this as we, as we go through the passage. And I'm just going to bring out three simple truths that I see in this passage to really exhort us to this word. And so, Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness. I thank you that you're so good. I thank you that you loved us, God. I thank you that you've loved us perfectly in every way. I thank you that today, God, you have given us such an opportunity to come into your presence, God, and be with you, and you ministered us, and to strengthen us, God. But I pray that today, God, our hearts would hear what it is you have to say. I pray that we wouldn't just let things come into our ear and just move out, God, but I pray that we really let the things that you want to say come deep into our hearts. And I would ask, God, for myself, God, that you give me great grace and great anointing and great power, God, because... Lord, you know I'm weak. You know I have no ability. You know I can't do this, Father. And I just confess that I need you in every way. And I ask, God, that your son would be magnified in this time that we have together. We love you. We thank you. We give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So the three simple truths. The first one I'll point out to you is this, that we find in this passage is really found in verse 18. It is is that King Jesus has authority over all. And this is the establishment, right? The first thing that you'll see in this passage, in the Great Commission passage, that we've all heard so well, and knowing that it is a a passage that is declaring war, or what we're called to do, is this, the establishment that King Jesus has all authority. Verse 18 makes it very clear. It's that Jesus said, He came and said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has has been given to me. And when you look at this passage, it's very clear that Jesus does not start the Great Commission with a command. Right? He starts with a claim. And that is absolutely important that we grasp that this is true. Because if we started with a, a command, we would, miss, we, would, we would fail this mission absolutely, 100%. But he points his eyes not on themselves or their ability, but he points his eyes first and foremost on who he is. Because it is in the power of Jesus Christ and it is in the authority of Jesus Christ that we are able as disciples of Jesus to fulfill the mission Jesus has given us. There is no other means to fulfill this mission other than the fact that Jesus is the king and he has all authority. And so when you read this passage, Jesus doesn't start it with a command, but he starts it with a claim and the claim must be understood. He makes it very clear in this passage that he has all authority. In fact, in this passage, you see the word all used four different times. It's indicating to to us that Jesus has authority and control and power over all things, right? He has all authority 
all nations. He wants us to go and make disciples of all the nations, right? And then teaching them to observe all that he has taught us. And behold, he's with it always to the ends of the age. It's this repetition for us to understand Jesus is the one who's in control. That should bring us great comfort today and great joy. There's no one else that's better to be in charge than Jesus. Certainly, if we were in charge, this would be a disaster. Certainly, even if the Apostle Paul was in charge of the church's mission, we'd be a disaster. But the reality is is that Jesus is in charge of it all because he has all authority. And so when you read through this passage, you see Jesus making these statements is an actual direct. it's It's a statement and a claim by Jesus that he's pointing back to much of the Old Testament. Now, I know for us as Christians, and, and, and sometimes we don't value the Old Testament very much because we're, maybe we'll read it when we like the Psalms or things, but there are so much hidden gems of the Old Testament. Over 400 prophecies of the Old Testament point to Jesus and Jesus alone. And when you read that, you realize that the whole Bible is all about Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. He is, again, I've said this so many times, it's always been Jesus, always will be Jesus, and it is Jesus constantly. And that's the story of the Bible. And when Jesus is making this claim here, he's saying that Daniel... Daniel chapter 7, verse 14, is about him. It's a passage maybe you know, maybe you don't know, but the passage goes like this, where where it would say, And to him, speaking of Jesus, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and language should serve him. His dominion is the everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And so what Jesus was saying is that this is no minor prophecy to fulfill. This is Jesus declaring that his kingdom... The one that we are called to advance and the one that he has established and he will fully establish when he returns again. It will be everlasting that it will reign over all people and all nations and that it will never pass away. This is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. He is the king of that kingdom. And so in other words, what Jesus is saying when he's saying all authority, he's reminding us of all the Old Testament passages that said there's going to come this king. And Jesus saying that's me. Authority is something that kings will. Authority is clearly through the book of Matthew is about Jesus being the king. And so it's no minor thing. And so what Jesus was saying is he was declaring to be the king that God had said would rule and reign his kingdom in the earth today. The book of Matthew is constantly bringing this out. Different gospels, the authors wrote and they have different themes that you pull out. But in the the gospel of Matthew, the theme is really this. Jesus is the king of kings. All throughout, all throughout the gospel of Matthew, you see that Jesus has authority over everything. He has authority over nature. He has authority over demons. He has authority over sickness. He has authority over sin. He has authority over death. He has authority constantly. And the reason why is because the gospel of Matthew is establishing very clearly Jesus is the king. And I, I, can't, I cannot say that enough, to be honest with you. Because if we, we, if we miss that, Jesus is king over all things, then we really miss the whole Great Commission. We really miss the whole mission for the church today. And so it's this establishment that Jesus says this. Not only does Matthew pick up the same theme or this idea, but all throughout the New Testament we see these same things. Philippians chapter 2, which we all know so well, speaks of in verse 9 through 11, where it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Making it very clear, Jesus is the name above all names. Revelation 19, 13, and 16 speaks about he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
New Testament continues this over and over again. But for just for our sake, one more. Ephesians 1, 20-21 says that he, that he, God, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this, in this age, but also in the age to come. And so for us, before we understand anything about a command for this, we have to understand that Jesus' claim is that he is King Jesus who has authority over all things. He is the king. And it's absolutely important for us to know that. And we must understand that Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God. And that Jesus has come to establish God's kingdom on the earth. I love that truth so much because sometimes we think the Bible story is all about me going to heaven or hell. And there's truth about heaven and hell, right? But throughout the Bible, and I dare you to go look at this challenge. If you go look at how many times heaven and hell are put together in the Bible, it's very few. But go look at heaven and earth. They're together everywhere. Why? Because the biblical story is this. God is invading earth with his kingdom. He's bringing his space, heaven, into earth. And when Jesus came, heaven came down. And when Jesus is going to come and fully consummate the kingdom, fully, the unity of heaven and earth will be restored once again because Jesus established this kingdom. And he's the king of the kingdom. And we long for that day and we pray for that day. But the fact that Jesus is king of the kingdom and he is our king and all authority belongs to him has implications for you and I in this moment. Very important that it affects your daily life. It's nice to know facts about Jesus, right? But facts don't change you necessarily. You have to let it bear weight on you. So how does this bear out? How does this impact us in any way? And I have just five simple implications. You can add more of your own. You could put more, I'm sure. But just for our sake, I'd put a couple of these. The first is this, that Jesus is the king of kings and all authority belongs to him. It means that we must decide today who we believe Jesus really is. C.S. Lewis said that Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. And every human being must decide which one they believe he is. And this is the truth for all of us. It would be very foolish of me as a, as a minister to assume that every person in this room believes him to be Lord. Maybe we would say that, but the reality is our lives maybe don't reflect it. Maybe we're just thinking, you know, he's kind of crazy or he's a, he's a liar or whatever. But Jesus is the Lord. And so for us, the implication is we must decide who is Jesus. Is he the Lord today? He is the Lord today and confess him at Lord. But here's the truth. Even if we make that decision to say he is Lord, regardless of what you think or what people think, God has already decided what he has said about Jesus. God has already decided that Jesus is the king of kings. God himself, the father, declared that Jesus is the king of kings. Jesus doesn't need you to declare that he is the king of kings. He already is the king of kings. He already is Lord of Lords because Jesus, the Father has made him that and has given him a place above all names. Philippians chapter 2, like we just read. But the truth is, is that whether you do it in this life or next, one day you will do it. We will bow. Whether it's this life or the next, like Philippians 2 teaches us, we will bow our knees. All people will, y'all. And there is a host of people outside these four walls who will bow their life, bow their knee to Jesus, confessing him to be Lord but doing so not in the way of enjoyment like we will have. And I pray that we would see that, we would be moved by that, that we would say, Jesus, I want to run to those people. I want to live in a way where I would tell people that you're not a liar, you're not a lunatic, you're the Lord of all. So the first implication is we must decide who he is. The second implication is simply this, is that it means we must choose today whether we, what, what degree we'll give Jesus of our lives. Doesn't mean Jesus is not asking for this version of Christianity that is so common today where it's like you can have 43.5% of my life or 78% of my life or some version of a compartmentalized faith. 
Jesus, you can have this and this, but don't touch that. If Jesus truly is King of kings and Lord of lords and all authority belongs to him, then he deserves all of us. There's nothing to be held back from Jesus, but we are to give Jesus every bit of our life. And look, I'm going to say this with that. No one's perfect at such a task. I'm not asking you to make a promise to God today and say, I'm going to upkeep this promise because you won't. But what I will tell you to say is just say, God, here I am. Take me. I don't even have the ability to give 100% of myself, but I offer myself and I just ask you, God, take me because I want to be yours. I want you to have all that I am. I don't want to give you just pieces of me. I don't want, I don't want a version of Christianity where it's like, okay, you have this part, you have my Sunday, but you don't have this, you don't have that. Y'all heard those sayings all, your whole life. You've grown up in church, right? You know, you go to church on Sunday, but I'm not serving Jesus on Monday and Tuesday. You've heard those things. We don't want that. We want to live a life where we'd say, Jesus, since you are this, we choose to bow our knee 100% to you. And the only means by which we can do it is by you taking my life. The third implication is this, is that it means that those who choose to submit, who bow their knee to King Jesus, will find that he's a king like any other, unlike any other. He is a good king. One who doesn't tell his disciples to wash his feet, but washes their feet. One who will go to his own subjects and care for them. He is a king whose provision is best and a king who protects his people. He is a king who is a brother to his people and he is a king who is the best friend to them. He is a king who lives and loves for the benefit of his people. He's the king who saves and redeems his people. He is the king like any, unlike any other. He is a king who will do things that you could never imagine. And this is what I don't understand why so many of us would refuse to bow to King Jesus. Because he's not like other kings that would abuse you. Pastor Lee said this Wednesday, we don't understand kingdoms and kings very well because we're Westerners and, and American. We threw off the kingship. We don't like kingship. We like to be individualized. Like, do, don't tell me what to do. I do. I'm my own person. But the reality is, is in the Bible, Jesus is the king. And so we, kind of, we don't really like that, but, the, the, but, it's telling, but it's very clear for us to understand that Jesus as the king, he's not an abusive king. We don't have to be afraid of what he's going to be like. We don't have to be afraid that he's going to hurt you or torment you or cause you pain and grief and destroy you. But knowing this, that Jesus is the king who cares for his people, who loves his people. And so it shouldn't be this challenge of like, oh gosh, I got to surrender. It's like, it's the joy to surrender to a king who cares for you. Because out on your own, think about it, in the old king days, out on the own, being part of the kingdom was a guarantee of protection. And for you to go and say, you know, I I don't want Jesus to be my king. Saying, I'm going to go try to survive on my own in this life. And y'all, you you know, and you've probably been there, or maybe you've seen people try. It is impossible to thrive in this life apart from Jesus being the king of all things. And that's the beauty of it, is Jesus makes it very clear that those who bow their knee, who choose to submit to King Jesus, will learn him as king in ways they'd never know, where they will find and know the abundant life that Jesus promised in John 10.10, that he said, I came to bring life and life abundant. can be experienced now. It's not not just when we get to heaven. The fourth implication is this, is that it should bring comfort to us that his work will not fail. If Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and he has all authority and King Jesus is doing, he's above all things, his work will not fail. So if you choose to engage in his work, know this, it will not fail because he is king. And the truth is, is that Jesus' kingdom will endure forever. And we can be assured that his gospel, the message we are called to proclaim, will work. It will work. The gospel is spoken of in Romans 1, 16, that is the power of God unto salvation, right? Knowing this, what is the power to change the world? The gospel of Jesus Christ. It will work because he's the king. 
and it's his gospel. And so we don't have to be like, well, you know, is the gospel good enough? These It's still enough. It changes the world. It changes people's lives. It changes nations. Uh, even in, I think it's Acts chapter 17, when the, the, the people get there, the disciples get there, the people of Thessalonica, they, they respond to when the disciples get there and say, we've heard about you people. Your gospel has turned the world upside down. The gospel of Jesus still works today. So comfort in this, that King Jesus' gospel is not a weak gospel that can't transform the city out there, but it can. But if it's not spoken, we won't see the transformation. And then the fifth and final implication is this, that since Jesus is the king who has all authority, it means as we, as his disciples, we must take his final command to be our first word. We must take it seriously because of this. Because his kingship compels us to go his kingship is the fuel for our mission, and the worship of him as king is the goal of our mission. I will say that again because I believe that to be so true. Because he is king, his kingship compels us to go forward. And his, and his kingship is the fuel that drives us into the mission. That's why it doesn't start with the command. It starts with the claim that Jesus is king. And the worship of him, desiring Jesus to be worshipped as king, is the goal of our mission. It is not simply so that I can say a badge and I've done the thing I'm supposed to do. It is to say, Jesus, I want you to have the worship that you deserve. For you are the Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. And the Bible makes it very clear in Revelation that all nations, tribes, and tongues will gather around the throne and proclaim that he is worthy. And we now, we're going to do it then, but can we do it now? Can we say, I'm driven because I want you to be worshipped now on this earth before it's too late. And so it moves into this thing, just understanding very clearly with this passage, the church's mission. It is established first and foremost on who Jesus is in his claim as king. And every one of us must sit in here and say, Jesus, you are the king. And I will acknowledge that. I will bow my knee and I will enjoy that. Because when I come to know you as king, I will know the best life that I could have ever known now and in the next. But this leads us into the second truth of this passage. The first truth being, King Jesus has authority over all. Well, in light of that, King Jesus now commissions us. That's why he says, go therefore, right? In light of my authority, go, therefore, move. And he commissions us. And so Jesus declares himself as all authority, but he sends his followers on the mission. And it is this mission that should occupy our time until he returns. Jesus makes it very clear in this passage that his people's mission until he returns is to go and make disciples of Jesus. In other words, advance the kingdom of God. Now, I know there's some translations. When you look at this, it'll say, um, it says, and he said to them, uh, verse 19, go therefore and teach all nations. Right? It says that. In the Greek, it's very clear. It means make disciples. Make disciples. It's not just teaching. Teaching people about Jesus is not everything. There's more to it. There's living the life. There's so much more to it. And so this passage is, is saying very clearly for us as believers that the command that we are called to follow, the mission that you, and I, I would suggest this to you, you as an individual would take up today to make Jesus' final words, your first work, is to make disciples. Because you submit and know King Jesus, and you love King Jesus, and he loves you, and you've been moved by his love for you. And so because of that, in love, in response to him, you obey because you love him, because he loved you. You say, I want to make disciples, Jesus. I want this in my life. Jesus' grand plan for world revolution was his church making disciples. Jesus' kingdom advancing plan was for his disciples to make disciples. And this is the call for all believers. So this is our purpose, our goal, our ambition, our even our end. As we find ourselves in this world, 
Our work is not what we do for a living or the hobby that we enjoy. Our work is to make disciples. And those are merely the vehicle in which it can happen. Those are merely the vehicle that brings us and gives us the opportunity to do so. So as as disciples of Jesus, we are called to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. This is what our life and our mission is called to live out. As followers of Jesus, we are born to reproduce. Just think about that. This passage makes it clear we're born to reproduce. It's not supposed to end with you. The gospel is not supposed to cease with you. It's supposed to continue forward. And then it continues forward. And then it continues forward. But here's the reality. And then the unfortunate truth is that so many, and I've been guilty of this. We can be Christians who will spend 5, 10, 20, or even 30 years as a, as a Christian and really never know the joy of reproducing life in someone else. Never really knowing the joy of making disciples for Jesus. Never really getting the, the, the happiness of leading someone to Jesus. And, 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 and it's not just leading someone to Jesus. It's walking with them and discipling them and helping them learn who Jesus is and grow in their maturity and their faith. That is a joy that very few people get or they can but have probably encountered because, they don't, because it's difficult work. But when you begin to do it, you find that there's a, it's a joy that's unlike any other. Because why? This is what he asked us to do. So surprise... The thing he's calling you to do is actually joyful. None of the things that Jesus ever asked you to do is actually miserable. The Bible makes it very clear in 1 John that the commands of God are not burdensome. They are delight to his children. And so when you begin to say, okay, it's difficult. Doesn't mean it's easy. It's difficult, right? I'm going to do it. You'll find it to be joyful, though still difficult. To walk in this truth, to walk, to be a person who says, I want to reproduce, to multiply, to bring people to Jesus. And so as disciples today, we are to reproduce very simply. But what are we to reproduce? The disi- a disciple. And so just for simplicity's sake, I'm just going to lay this out there. What is a disciple? Because it's like, okay, I'm, you're telling me today that my mission and what I'm called to do is to make disciples for Jesus. What is a disciple? What am I making? This is how I like to look at it. I believe that Matthew 4.19 says it very well. If you're familiar with Matthew 4.19, it's the very first invitation to follow Jesus for the disciples. They had met Jesus in John chapter 1, but this was the initial invitation to be a disciple. And this was the invitation, which many of you probably know. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I believe that in that, that verse is the definition. Within, the, 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 the defini- within this, you find the definition of a disciple, Within the invitation is there. And it is simply this. Someone, a disciple is someone who is following Jesus, who is being changed by Jesus, and who's committed to the, the mission Jesus has given his church. In other words, when you look at that verse, it says this. Follow me. This is what Jesus called us to be. And I will make you. Jesus says, if you follow me, I'll change you. When you come and live in relationship with Jesus, expect him to change you. Because he's already at work in your life. And so a disciple for us is this to say, we are being changed by Jesus. And what is, what is the third thing? I will make you what? Fishers of men. I will take your vocation off of yourself. You'll no longer fish for yourself. Now you'll fish for people. You'll no longer do this. Your priorities were once this, but now your priorities this. And your priorities become one where you're committed to the mission that Jesus has given his church. It's no longer about what you want, your vocation, your calls. Your, your very first work becomes Jesus' mission accomplished in this earth, which is to make disciples for us. So a disciple, very simply, is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission that Jesus has given his church. And this is what he calls us to do, church. Produce this life. Produce this in others. Live it out. Jesus has commissioned us. But the beautiful thing about this passage is it actually tells you how to do it. 
Very simply, it tells you how to do it. It's not complicated in any way. When you look at this passage, there's three things that it makes it clear. This is how you make disciples. And it's three things. Go, baptize, and teach them to observe. That's it. Three things. Go, baptize, and teach them to observe. And for simplicity's sake, we'll just go over them, but they're not over. They shouldn't be, oh, mind-boggling. I don't understand that. It's very simple. Well, how do we make disciples? We go. Right? Somehow in the world, in the Christian world, there's been this almost desire. It's like, well, I want to make disciples, but I want to disciple the people within the church. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying that's bad. There's some truth to that. But the reality is, is we are called to go out there and make disciples of those who are not disciples yet. To go out there and say, that's where the kingdom of God has to be advanced. That's where the kingdom of God is called. And so we're to march out of the doors and say, let's advance the kingdom of God. Let us go therefore. The Bible says so clearly that we are ambassadors for Christ, right? And, and it is God making his appeal through us that we implore on behalf of Christ that men would be reconciled to God. This is what we are. And I would ask you, do you, do you believe that more than you believe about your own profession right now? Just... When someone asks you, what do you do? Do you say, I am a plumber? Again, you don't have to, well, you don't have to be like, I am an ambassador. But in your own mind, do you realize that this spiritual truth is greater than the physical truth? You are called to be an ambassador in this moment. So if someone asks you, what do you do? Say, I represent Jesus as a plumber. And I'm doing everything I can to implore others and to appeal to them that God would appeal through me that they'd be reconciled to God. This is what I'm called to be. Mark 16, 15 he says, he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole world. Very clearly we are called to go. Yet somehow in the 21st century, going has seemed to become very optional for us as believers. It's as if it doesn't matter. Well, they'll do it. We, we cannot afford to live the they'll do it mentality. The, the, nothing changes when everybody expects everybody else to do be the change. There comes a moment where you have to take up the responsibility as an individual and say, I will go. I will step into the call. I will hear the call of Jesus and say, I will go and preach the gospel and proclaim it. Jesus has always in his, intended his disciples to go and, and not to be people that are just stationary and sit between the four walls of the church and want to disciple each other for 500 years. Wanting us to go and march and bring people in so that they can be disciples. So in order to make disciples, the obvious and very first thing is this. It's to lead people to Jesus, and that comes through proclaiming the gospel. It's not, not a mystery. It's simply this, is that we must speak the gospel. There are no other means of salvation outside of the gospel. It is the power of God on the salvation. It is what we are called to do. And so for us, if we plan, if we want to be a disciple maker, someone who's making disciples and taking the final words of Jesus very seriously as our first work, then we have to be people that go with the gospel in hand and in mouth. Gospel in hand, demonstrating by the way we treat people in our actions and the gospel coming out of our mouth and our very words that we say to people. We must be those type of people. So just for a moment, I would ask you this. To think about the people in your circle of influence. Right? What is your circle of influence? Maybe where you work. Maybe your family. Maybe where you, you, you spend your time at your hobbies. Where do you have an influence? Every one of us, we do. Whether we like it or not, we do. We have an opportunity to be an influence for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to think about that place. And I want you to begin to think, how might God actually might use you there? Does God want to use you there? How does God want to use you to bring someone along in their journey to know Jesus, to understand who Jesus is? 
very clearly, in order for that to happen, you must go to them. Another way that you could even look at this passage is when he says go, it also means as you go. In other words, as you walk through life, that's why you don't have to add 100 outreaches to your life, okay? Simply this, as you go into the field that God has called you in, make disciples there. Praise God, y'all. If, if, that, if that truth becomes a reality to us, imagine how many people could come through the doors of the church because the army of Jesus Christ infiltrated places that no pastor ever had access to. It is not the pastor who has to do, that can do all this. It is the people of God hearing the call of God and the orders of God and saying, I will march and I don't want to just live a cruise line Christianity. I want to live a Christianity that is a battleship for the king of God, for the king Jesus and for his kingdom's sake. The second thing about what it means to make disciples, he makes it very clear, is baptize. We know baptism is very, it should be understood this way. It is not the finish line for a believer by any means, but it is really merely the beginning of their journey in following Jesus. It's in some, in many ways, it should be our first act of obedience. We should be, understand that Jesus commands us to be baptized, water baptized. And so it's not some finish line thing. It's just the first thing you do. As a disciple of Jesus, you get water baptized in obedience because you love Jesus. And it is the outward expression of the inward work and the public declaration of following Jesus. It's the confession that I've died with Christ and now I'm risen to new life with Christ. It is saying I'm no longer part of the kingdom of darkness, but I've become a part of the kingdom of light. It is the declaration that I am going with Jesus all the way. But it is also the declaration that I am part of his church. That's why it's a public thing for the most part. Because it's the declaration that all you, I'm joining into this body. I'm part of that. The early church, and, and I'm not saying we do this, but the early church, they actually, the way they did baptism, the baptism was at the, was at the back of the, back here, it would be like that, but the back over there. And they would have service, they'd have like, like uh, they would have these long services, and then at the end of it, they would uh, take communion. But if you hadn't been water baptized, you weren't allowed to stay in the room. Like, you, you, could, you, you had to leave, and so that's why they called Christians cannibals, because they thought nobody knew what was going on inside of the room. They're like, ah, oh, they were eating the flesh and drinking the blood is what they heard. And so nobody knew, and so the Romans would go around and say, Christians are cannibals, Christians are cannibals. Because unbelievers were asked, they were allowed to be in the service, but they were asked to leave during the communion. Now, by no means am I suggesting that we do that. But here's what it indicates, is that baptism was something that was very serious to them. They understood that when someone was baptized, they were saying, I'm coming into the body. I'm joining. I'm all into this Jesus thing. And I want to be where the body is. I want to be a part of what Jesus, where the body works. And so this is what we understand. When we're baptizing people, when we're inviting them, it's not that we're just leaving them at, hey, I got you saved in the gospel. But I'm bringing you into the church. I'm helping you understand the obedience to baptism. But then I'm bringing you into the body so that you can grow. So that you can be matured. So that you can grow up in the things of the Lord. So that you can, you know, walk with, that you can make disciples of other people. So that it can continue on, on you. And so it means that baptism is, is not only the beginning of what it means to follow Jesus. And the, but the Bible makes it very clear that to be healthy and the growth of following Jesus, we must be in the body of Jesus. And so when Jesus is saying, go baptize him, he's saying, bring him in. Bring him into this body. Bring him in here. Let him be a part of it. Let him grow. Let him mature. Let him grow up from an infant into a toddler, into a, a young adult, into an adult, into a parent. And that one day they're now parenting people in the faith. This is what he's saying. And so disciple making doesn't happen outside of the church. This is just the reality. It does not happen outside of the church. Discipleship and disciple making happens within the confines of the church of Jesus Christ. 
When maturity happens in the work of God. Why? Because we grow. We work with one another. We, and we, we, we rub shoulders with one another. And we get angry with one another. And we cause rifts with one another. And what does it do? It forces us to grow. To mature. It causes us to, to grow in stature. And to the man of Jesus Christ. And so we can't expect to live out our faith outside of the local church or where Jesus places us or to make disciples of someone without the body. The body is part of discipleship. The body is part of disciple making. It is not me just doing my thing. It is the body of Jesus doing the work, maturing people, and we are called to bring them in. And so the last thing of what it means to, te- or to, to make disciples is to teach, to observe. This is so simple. But sometimes we complicate it. What Jesus is basically saying is that we make disciples by sharing and obeying the words of Jesus together. In other words, we just talk about Jesus' words together. That's not complicated. You spend time with one another and with people talking about what does Jesus say? What is Jesus' word? You do Bible study. You talk about God's word. You, 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 you dig into the word. You enjoy the word. You share the word. You, 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 you break bread over the word. You do all of these things. And so we make disciples not by keeping the word to ourselves, but by sharing it with our brothers and sisters so that it continues onward. Y'all, that could be the simplest thing. Is What did God show you in the word today? Send it out to some friends. Don't let it end with you. What we understand in the word of God is not meant to just end with you. It is meant to be for others, to strengthen others, to encourage others in their faith, because this is what it means to make disciples. This isn't just for pastors and teachers, the ones who are up on the stage teaching and preaching, or ministry leaders who hold Bible studies, but this is allowing God's word to reproduce through your life into others. Talk about it. That's not complicated at all. And in fact, I would, suggest, I would imagine most of you would say, it's actually really fun. It's really fun when you know King Jesus and you see his words and you, they come alive to you and you get to begin to talk to people about it. And you're like, man, and you, get, and, and you know what's so fun is when you do it and you see people's faces light up with joy. Like Michael Evans over here, he talks to me about the Bible all the time. He calls me, he's like, hey, I got to talk to you. And he just calls me and he just tells me, I just want to tell you what I saw in the word of God today. And y'all, I can't tell you how many times when he's done that, he would call me like at lunch break or something. And I would just be like, I'm exhausted. And my spirit was uplifted. I was, I was encouraged in the things of the Lord. And so it's just a simple thing. Encourage one another. Talk about the word. But not only is it to talk about the word, because it says teach to observe or to obey, is this, is that to be making disciples is to share the word, talk about the word, but also to help each other live it out. To look at what it says and say, Jesus, we want to obey you because we love you. We want to listen to the words that you have for us. And you can think of it like this. If I told my little daughter to go clean her room and she goes to clean her room and I come back and she says, Daddy, I learned where the clothes go. I learned how you fold them. I learned even how to vacuum. I learned it in Greek and Hebrew. I learned all of these things. But Father, I didn't clean anything. It would be like, but but you didn't clean, right? Like Jesus is not as concerned about us just memorizing the Bible as he is actually obeying the word of God. Now, you won't obey apart from the grace of God, but God's grace is sufficient and able to help you grow in obedience to the word of God. John 8, 31 and 32 makes it very clear. If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. And then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. God, Jesus does not want us just to memorize and just talk about it, but never live it out. But he says this, hey, would you help other people? Hey, the word of God... I I love this great passage. Mark chapter 5, I'm just a a little rabbit. Mark chapter 5 is a passage where Jesus takes his disciples across to this area where Gentiles live. And there's demon-possessed men there. There's a pig there. There's Gentiles there. And in other words, it's unclean, 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 unclean. You don't go there, Jewish boys. It's a graveyard. You don't go there either. 
Jesus brings them over there. And what he does is he's demonstrating to them that Jesus will go where no one else will go. And he's willing to love that nobody, the ones nobody else would love. And he's willing to go do something about what other people aren't willing to do. And so when you get together with a Christian believer and you're walking about the Bible and you see that in that past and you're like, this is our Jesus. This is how Jesus lived. And you begin to say, would, I'm, I'm fearful to do this. Would you help me? And you begin to talk about, hey, let's go obey the word of God together. Let's go somewhere and let's love the person that maybe somebody doesn't want to love today. Let us be like our Jesus because he is our king and he's making us like this. So it's this encouragement not only to know the word and share the word and share a little Bible study, but it is the encouragement to stir one another up to love and good works and obedience to Jesus. And this is what it means. And so there's implications that we have for this. They're just very simple for us. It's the question of this. How are we living these things out practically speaking? Disciple making isn't easy, but it is simple. You go, you baptize, and you teach and to observe. And so just even in that, we just we would acknowledge in our lives, like, God, help me. Help me to live this life out. Help me to be someone who is sharing the good news, who's going, who's proclaiming. Help me to be someone who's investing in the body. And not just me investing in the body, but bringing others along into the body that they could invest in the body. And that they could be a part of what God's doing. Help, help people in this church to be a part of what God's doing in this church. Don't just expect that they'll find your, their way just because you found your way. Help them get in. Help them see what God's doing. Help them understand the choir of praise. Help them understand grace. Help them understand what God has taught you and so that they can be a part of what God is ministering in the church right now. Not only that, but take them and walk with each other to obey. Live together. Serve. Do these things. This is what it means to be a disciple maker. Being a disciple maker does not mean you lead a discipleship group. It does not mean that at all. People can lead discipleship groups all day and it doesn't mean they're actually a disciple maker. Someone who's a disciple maker is someone who's going and sharing and someone who is teaching and observing and someone who's bringing people into the body and helping them get into the church. That's disciple making. And so be that. Let us be that as, as followers of Jesus. And this is the third truth that it comes, comes right on the heels of that. Is in light of that Jesus is the king who has all authority and that he commissions us to go and make disciples, he also promises us to be with us. King Jesus promises to be with us in verse 20. He makes it very clear where he says, teaching them to observe all that commandment. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Truthfully, you may be sitting here and thinking, how can I do this? Because it can feel overwhelming, can feel like a lot of work. And again, I'm not denying that it's, 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 it's difficult at times. But that's exactly the thought you probably need to have today. I hope that you have the thought to say, disciple making. Okay, I love Jesus. I want to do what he's called me to do. I want his final words to be my first word. But that sounds difficult. What am I to do? And you say, I'm weak. And then Jesus comes in. I hope that's your response. I hope that you would say, I can't do this. And so that there's this, this, this move in your heart that says, Jesus, but you can. Why? Because what does he promise? I will be with you to the end of the age. I'm always with you. The command there is behold, meaning look. Remember, no, I will never abandon you in this task. If you choose to make the final words of Jesus your first work, Jesus will never abandon you to do it by yourself. No matter how difficult it gets, no matter how much junk you see in someone else's life, no matter how difficult it becomes, Jesus will not let you do it alone because he says, I'm with you in this task. So you don't have to march into it thinking, I've got to have all the answers. I've got to have all the ability. No, you don't at all. Matthew 1, 23 actually starts off describing Jesus, saying this, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is 
with us. Matthew 28, 20 says this, Then behold, I am with you, always to the end of the age. This understanding that Jesus is with his people in whatever he calls them to do. And Jesus is with us. And so because of that, we can live this life. We can expect God to use us in a miraculous way where the kingdom of God is advanced. Where we live a life that, that, that the rewards for the next life are piled up because of our faithfulness now. And taking Jesus' final words seriously with our life. Like I said, this is not easy, but it is. But the promise is the presence of Jesus and he will be with us. The Holy Spirit will empower us and give us all the ability to accomplish this. Acts 1.8 reminds us of that truth, but that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses, right, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is the promise of God that we can do this by the power of the Spirit. That's why we must be desperate for the Spirit of God in this. We must be desperate for his presence in this task. Because if we don't, we will burn out and be destroyed by it. But if, we're, but if we're desperate for his power, his strength, his presence, him knowing he's with us, we can find ourselves doing what God has called us to do. What this says to me so much, and I say this to a lot of, I, I, I say this often, but to me one of the big things about this is it, it speaks that the Christian life should never be boring. There's a lot of people in church that are always asking, what's the next thing for me to do? What's the next thing for me to do? And, and, I'm, and that's not wrong. Please don't misunderstand me. They're like, okay, I want to do this, I want to do that. And I'm glad that people want to help. But the scriptures make it very clear that if you just took this passage, begin to ask God to help me live this out, it would not be a very dull life whatsoever. It would be hard, but it would be very exciting. And it'd be very challenging. It may even be somewhat like a roller coaster ride, up and down, highs and lows, where you're like, gosh, this is difficult. Gosh, this is great. Gosh, whatever it might be. But the reality is, is the reason why I believe that so many people may be always trying to find the next ministry to please them is because they have forgotten the first, the first order. And when you remember this and you put yourself in this position, you'll find yourself saying, I'm satisfied in this in ways I never thought I would. Like, this is so satisfying to be a part of Jesus' work, to make disciples, to take his word, his truth, his command seriously with all that I am in this life. And so there's no need for boredom in the kingdom of God. It doesn't have to be, well, if I'm not doing this or I'm not doing that, then I'm not satisfied. You find yourself living this out, walking in this. You won't be bored. In fact, you'll be clinging on to your seat saying, Jesus, help me. This is exciting, but Jesus, help me. Constantly over and over and over again. And so I ask you just this simple truth. Will you? Will you? Will you take Jesus' final words as your first work? Will you begin a kingdom work like Lee was talking about last Wednesday? He said, live a kingdom, live a life that's doing the work of the kingdom. There's nothing more kingdom work than doing what Jesus said to do when he left, to go make disciples. And so will you do a kingdom work? Will you do a work that affects things for eternity? Will you live differently? Will you live with a purpose and an ambition for advancing Jesus' kingdom in this world? I'll say it like this. Businessman or businesswoman, will you advance Jesus' kingdom and make disciples in your office for Jesus? Will you? You choose today. You can choose today to hear what God is saying. This is what I want for my people. Remember, we're not on a cruise line. We're soldiers. The, 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 the party will come. It will be glorious. But until then, we're, we're marching. Stay-at-home mom, will you advance Jesus' kingdom and make disciples of your children for Jesus? Will you? Will you not complain about being... At home, and maybe that's difficult, but will you say this is the greatest honor, that this is what God has called me to do? 
Again, I never said it was easy. I've seen my wife, four kids at home by herself, not easy at all. But I'm watching her learn to embrace that call. And, 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 I, and I told her, it's bring, I've watched the joy of her life increase because she's investing in her children in ways she's never known before. She's filled with joy. It's not to say if you don't work, you, you, that you work. That's, I'm not saying businessman or businesswoman. That's what I said earlier. You can still do that. But the reality is, is this. If you're at home, find yourself making disciples, advancing God's kingdom in your children's lives. School athlete, is sports just for you? Like youth, I say this all the time, is sports just for you? No, it's the vehicle in which God has called you to advance Jesus' kingdom and make disciples for Jesus. Will you do it? Will you do it? college or high school student, will you advance Jesus' kingdom and make disciples of your classmates for Jesus? The question is there, and for grandparents and whoever else may be in this room, will you advance Jesus' kingdom and make disciples of your children, of your grandchildren for Jesus? Will you? Will you hear Jesus' final words and say, I want them to be my first work? I want to close with just kind of my journey in this. Um, and I, I'm not sure really how to explain it. I just know that I'll do my best. I, I don't know how many years ago, maybe even three or four years ago. Of course, you might know. Um, I, I went. I, I was on staff. I just got hired here, and I was just praying. And Pastor Lee said, "You know, Phillips, you're going to get hired, and I'm not going to tell you what to do." I was like, "I want to know what to do, right?" Like he said, "I'll give you like one or two things, and you just gonna have to figure it out." I'm like, "Oh, okay." And so I was like, "Well, what do I do, Lord?" And I just and it forced me to get into a place with God. And, and, and as I was spending time with the Lord more and more, he made it very clear to me that as a church, that he wanted to grow our, our reach into the city, to this city, right? We had long been a church that had done a lot of international things. And so I, I, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to, uh, okay, Lord. But I was, I didn't know what to do. To be honest with you, I was uh, timid and I didn't want to go to Lee and say, hey, uh, how can I do this? And I was just timid. And I went to Christy and I was telling her about it. And she's like, you need to go to Pastor Lee. I was like, oh, no, no, don't. And I think she reported on me because he came to me and he said something like, I hear you have something to say. I'm like, oh, maybe. And then he's like, you're going to share it in a month. I'm like, oh, no, you know. And uh, I, I preached a series back at the time. I, I think the title was Missional Living. I don't remember. And honestly, it probably wasn't a very good series looking back. Um, but I remember this is that God used it in my life to really challenge me to encourage the church, but also examine my own life was I live in this life. And so God used it in my life. And that was kind of the journey for myself. And then it wasn't long after that, I was just praying. I was saying, God, what do you want me to do? You, what, 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 you know, how are you using it? What, what, what are you saying to me? And he said to me, he said, Felix, what are you going to do when they come in? I said, well, I'm, well we're going to disciple him, Jesus. And he just made it very clear, son, your life has not been engaged in this. I want to teach you how to do it. And it set me on a journey where I began to say, all right, Lord, guys, I've done ministry for a long time. And you can do ministry and still push back the disciple-making aspect of it. Kind of leave it out. It's not hard to do, believe me. And, and, and so I've done ministry and all these things, but he's like, I want you to learn how to disciple people. I want you to walk with people. I want you to see their, I want, to, I want you to get really close where you're going to see some major flaws with people. I said, okay. You know, because when you lead a youth group, you know, you're not with them all day long. You know? And most kids won't know how to behave when they're at youth group. Most kids do. Right? And so I, I said, okay, Lord, what do I do? And I went to Pastor Lee. He said, okay, you, you, you could you help the church. Help the church, Felix. He, he always has been such an encouragement in me. He's always, always just said, help the church. And he's been such a blessing to me. 
And, and so I, I began to try to pursue this with my own life. And I, 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 I went to a few men in the church and I said, hey, guys, I don't know what, what I'm doing. You're guinea pigs. I was very honest with them. I said, but would you, would you become, would you come into a, a would we form a, a group together and, and help each other go and be accountable to sharing our faith? Would you, would we help each other to be a part of the body and stir one another in that? Would you, would you help each other to hear your word and obey your word? And I did that with those same group of men for about a year and a half, almost a year and eight months. And, and so that was one thing, the avenue which my journey was going into this whole discipleship, disciple-making thing. But then the other journey was this, is that at the same time, it started at the same moment, I was, I, I still remember, God, I don't want to be a pastor that preaches about going to the harvest but never do it, so God helped me to go into the harvest. And I went to LSU one day with no faith, no ability, no, no, I mean, I was as, I was as pathetic as they come. I am terrible at street evangelism. I remember I was watching everybody pass out bags, and I was like, like, I, I, I'm serious. Like, if you go out there, you'll see me. I'm not good at passing out bags. Wendy's great at it. I'm not. I'm very timid when it comes to that. And I'm just, I'd rather have a conversation with someone. And it was coming to the end of the day, and I didn't have an opportunity. I didn't pass out a bag up to, up to that point, I think. And I'd been there like an hour. I'm just, just praying. And uh, there was a young man that was passing me by, and he went this way, and I went this way, and I was talking to my wife. And I was telling her, she was like, well, go pass out a bag or something like that. And I said, no, just watch this. I don't know why I said that. And I handed her the bag, and I chased this young man down. And I went to this young man, and I just asked him a question that I had been thinking about all day that I knew would work, right? I was like, what do you think of Christianity or something like that? And uh, he was like, he gave me the, you know, the typical answer. It's a religion or whatever it is. And um, I, we, we, con- we had a conversation. It was very short and simple, and it was wonderful. And I said, would you mind if I, uh, would you want to talk about this more? And he said, he said, absolutely, sure, I'll, I'll be open to that. I said, do you mind if I get your number? He said, no. I was like, okay. Um, he said, I'll give you my email. I was like, email? Um, you don't see that too often on the campus. And he gave me his email, and I remember I, was, I emailed him, and I was in staff meeting next door. We were upstairs still at the time. And I remember I got an email back from him, and he said, yeah, I'd like to meet for coffee and talk about Jesus. And so we sat down, we had coffee together, and that day started a, a year-and-a-half-long relationship. And so at the same time when I, God began to speak to me about discipling and being, being an intentional disciple maker in people's lives, and then at the same time, he was having me engage the harvest in a way that I had never done before. And for a year and a half, I met with this individual. Basically every other week, we just talked about Jesus. He taught me archery. Well, he tried to teach me archery. He came to my house. We spent time together. We became friends. And after a year and a half, I was... Uh, God moved in his life miraculously. God moved in his life. Some of you may know him. He's from Vietnam. He'd never heard anything about Jesus. He'd never been inside of a church. Nothing, no experience. He, one of the, when we were sitting down, we are going through the gospel of Mark together. He asked, he, he asked Who, who's John the Baptist? I said, Jesus' is, uh, second cousin. And he was like, Jesus had a mom? <laughs> He's like, who's Mary? I was like, Mary. He's like, who's Mary? Right? Like, he had no idea anything. And during this time, there was this journey where God was teaching me, Felix, I want you to learn to invest your life in making my first, my final words your first word. I want you to take these men that you're with and give your life to them and help them and strengthen them. And boy, did I fail. And boy, did I hit bumps. And boy, did I have challenges. 
And in and, and this, he, he said, I want you to minister to this man. And so I began to minister to this young man, and we build a friendship. And y'all, he, he's getting his PhD in math. I thought I'd have to answer all kind of science questions. We never had a single conversation about science. Everything was this. He wanted to know the person of Jesus. And we walked through the gospel of Mark for, for weeks on weeks and just went passage by passage. So what does this mean about Jesus? So what is this saying about Jesus? And we just talk about Jesus. And as I was watching this, Jesus just showed me and said, Felix, this is what I want you to live your life. I want you to live a life where you're living to make disciples for me. And I'll tell you this right now. During that time and through this journey of the last year, two years, year and a half of that, I have come to say, and I, say, and I, I try to say this very humbly, and of all the ministry I've done, with, with preaching, a lot of people see the pinnacle of ministry as like preaching or leading a Bible study or some ministry leading. A lot of times it feels like that's the pinnacle, right? It's like, well, they're on the next level. And, and that's just false. I say this, and I mean this in the most humble way. The most satisfying ministry I've ever been a part of was to be in those disciple relationships with that young man and those, those, those four other guys. I got to see things and know things and work in people's lives in ways that I never imagined. And I wasn't very good at it. But I did it because I knew this. And there were moments when I wanted to give up. And there were moments that it was not easy. And there's moments I didn't necessarily want to go. And I remember this promise that Jesus says, Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And in this task, I will be with you. And y'all, I'll just say that to you. The reason why is because maybe you find yourself in here and you're like, I don't know what to do with my life. Just dive in. Dive into a relationship of disciple-making. Dive into a lifestyle of disciple-making. And you'll realize very quickly that it's so satisfying and joyful. I got the privilege to, this young man came to faith in Jesus. He got water baptized. He called his mom and dad and said, back in Vietnam, he said, Mom, Dad, I've become a Christian. He's plugged into a local Vietnamese church here in town. He comes here occasionally, spends time with us. Still get to see him. He was over for lunch last week. And I'm just so thankful. Because I've realized... Like you can do church your whole life. But the work that Jesus calls us to do is so much fun and joyful. And it's so satisfying. And so just for us, my, my, my question again is this, will you? Will you make Jesus' final words your first work? Will you say, Jesus, I want to be a disciple? And maybe you have questions about how to go about doing it. I'm here. I'll help you. I'll do whatever I can. Um, I, I'll, I'll do my best to help you. Maybe it speaks to you. But maybe you're just sitting here and you're like, God, I, I don't even, I, I just, I want to say yes. Then all you have to do today is not perform some great feat. Just look at what the word says. Go baptize, teach the word of God. Become into people's lives. Get in people's lives. Help people walk with Jesus. He's commissioned us, church. We're not here to be on a cruise. We are here to do the work that Jesus has called us to do. So if you want to do a kingdom work, as Pastor Lee alluded to on Wednesday, make disciples. Make disciples and let it be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And you'll find more joy and satisfaction in ministry. I promise you. That's what Jesus wants us to be. And so if you stand with me, I just want to thank him. I want to praise Jesus for his love, his mercy. I pray that today many of you would recognize that it, none of this can you do by yourself. It has to be the Spirit of God, the work of God. I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to us and speak to our hearts. But Lord God, we just come before you, Jesus. And Lord, I just confess, God, I, I, I want to be a disciple maker. Lord, I don't just want to do ministry. I just don't want to fit into the 
a, a pastor, just call myself pastor. God, I want to be a disciple maker. That's the call for all, pastor or non-pastor, God. I want to live a life, God, that hears the final words of Jesus and says, Lord, let it be my first work. Let it, let it be the place I go and the things that I do, God. Let it be so the purpose that I can make disciples for you, Jesus, because you're worthy of it. Help me to remember, Jesus, that you are the king, and that's why we do it, because you are the king of the kingdom, and you have commissioned us, and that in this task, you will never leave us or abandon us. So, God, give us great grace. Give us great strength. Help us, Jesus, today to walk this out, God, by your grace and mercy, Lord Jesus. Lord, help us to live for the kingdom in this hour. We love you, and we thank you, Jesus.